Well, it's good to see everyone. Uh, we are excited about the message today. We're going to be talking about the power and the gentleness of God. The power and the gentleness of God. You know, uh, um, I was down in the Ephesians class, which Kenny and Laura just did a phenomenal job teaching five weeks of Ephesians. Let's give these guys a round of applause. There's Kenny. Laura's probably in Kids' Kingdom. Uh, I don't know where she is. Anyways, uh, but thank you, Kenny and Laura, for teaching this class. I was down there, and I learned something new in class. Uh, the book of Ephesians closes up with Paul actually asking for prayers, and it, the NIV says, pray that I may declare the gospel fearlessly as I should. And what Laura shared was that that word actually means, or can mean, declare that I preach with good humor and joy. And so I thought, you guys must be praying that for me because of the incredible humor that you get, you know, when I preach. Okay. First Kings chapter 17. We're just going to get right into the text. Um, there, are, there are a few. David uh, Hahn says he thinks that I'm very funny, so, you know, appreciate that, David. All right, thumbs up. Okay, I won't tell a joke, though, Monty, this morning. We're just going to get into the Word of God. This isn't comedy hour. We're preaching the gospel. Okay, we are walking through the Old Testament, and we're thinking about what it does it mean to know God. Who is God? How can we draw close to Him? What is it in his heart, in his mind, in his character? What makes God happy? What makes him sad? What makes him angry? How do we draw near to him? How do we really experience God, to become one with God? And to enjoy an intimacy with our Heavenly Father and to transmit him to the world. Last week, Eli spoke on uh, Solomon, the first, about the first half of 1 Kings, and we're going to basically kind of continue uh, the second half of 1 Kings, but today we're going to hone in on the character Elijah that we're introduced to, and we're going to understand a little bit about God through how God relates to the prophet Elijah. And we're going to see how Elijah experienced God's power and gentleness. You know, uh, um, the rest of 1 Kings, after Solomon, pretty much goes downhill, okay? The, it talks about the kings, and the majority of kings choose to not follow God. They basically choose evil. There's a few good kings in Israel, but Israel and Judah split. They have civil war. Uh, all, it, it's just going downhill. In 2 Kings, it actually keeps going downhill. And every once in a while, like I said, that you have a king who fears God, who loves God, who wants to do what's right in God's eyes. But the majority of kings, uh, we see a downward slope of, of righteousness and morality, etc., in Israel. But in the middle of all this, Elijah is introduced. And so we're going to focus today's message and really what we see about God from his relationship with Elijah, okay? And I have two simple points. The power of God overcomes evil, and the gentleness of God 
overcomes discouragement. The power and the gentleness of God. So the kings are steadily getting worse, and then we have King Ahab come on the scene, and he is described as the most evil, okay? And so then this is when Elijah comes in, and we see this battle between the forces of God and good and righteousness and the forces of evil. And that battle lives today, would you not say? We see this all over the place, even in the news this past week about shootings. and just It's not hard. We don't have to look hard to see evil in the world. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't have to look hard to see evil in my own heart. Are you with me there? Um, so we don't look self-righteously at the evil out there. We humbly look at there's a good part of me and there's a dark part of me. And there's a battle going on in me. And so we see that we need the power of God to overcome the darkness. But we also need the gentleness of God to be able to draw close to God and near to Him and overcome our own discouragement. So right here in Ahab, King Ahab, we have the introduction of Elijah. 1 Kings 17, verse 1 says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, Surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So one of the ways that God is trying to get Ahab's attention is by sending a famine. And so Elijah says, listen, you're the king, but I stand before the king of kings. And that is God, okay? And so he sets himself against Ahab, and we see this, this battle play out. So First um, Kings chapter 17, verse 1, we see the power of God start to uh, be revealed to Elijah. So God says to go and, uh, uh, into the wilderness and I'll feed you with a raven. And so God feeds Elijah with a raven, meat and bread. Meat and bread. I'm, I'm not, nothing against veg, you know, vegetarians or whatever, but he did, he did feed him meat and bread uh, day, morning and night, Okay. And so God's power is coming through through providing for Elijah. Elijah is learning that, you know what, if I obey God and rely on him, God will be faithful to his word and his promises and will take care of me, okay? And then uh, the, the brook runs dry, so he goes to the widow. And the widow is saying, there's a famine in the land. I only have a little bit of flour left and a little bit of oil. And Elijah says, listen, take that little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and make me a uh, little meal here and give it to me. And you can see this is testing her faith, right? Like, I only got a little bit left and I got a child and you want me to give this to you. And Elijah's like, yeah, God will take care of you. God will provide. And they, she does that. She gives it to Elijah. Elijah is fed, and she's fed, and her flour and oil never run out. Isn't that, a, isn't that amazing? We see the power of God providing for her. And then the widow's son dies. And this is all in chapter 17, and I'm reviewing this because it's leading to a kind of a, a climax here of power of good versus evil. The widow's son dies, and a widow whose son dies is the most vulnerable because she doesn't have the husband to provide for her back in the day, and then the oldest son was then to, also then to provide, and then she loses him, so she's in a very, very vulnerable spot. 
And so Elijah cries out and the son and asks God to bring back the son's life, and God provides the life for the son, and the son, in essence, raises from the dead. God's power provided life in the midst of death. God's power provided food in the midst of drought. I don't know what you're going through, but I know that we all face challenges of various kinds. Maybe it's health challenges or emotional challenges or work challenges or children's challenges or school challenges or whatever challenges we may face. Listen, I've got a message for you today from God. God's power can overcome whatever challenges we're facing. Amen? God's power. God is bigger. And often when we struggle with anxiety and fear and doubt, what's, be, what's simply being revealed is how big is our God? How powerful really is He? Is He more powerful than that bad boss of yours? You know, hopefully the ministry staff isn't feeling that way uh, in our church. Is, it, is He more powerful than the circumstance that seems... So whatever, you know, uh, we're going to Africa. A bunch of us are going to Africa this week, nine of us. And Caleb is in uh, um, Nepal right now, Caleb Moose. And uh, one of my brother, he goes, uh, I was talking to him, and he's like, now, is this safe? Because, you know, I've been to war, and he used to be in the army. I've been in Africa in the war, and there's some pretty, and I'm like, I'm sure it's safe. And Christy's looking at me like, this is safe, right? It's safe. It is safe, amen? <laughs> to, to a degree. But there's, listen, ultimately my life is in the, God's hands because God's power is greater. And what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is I die and go to heaven, which is better by far, right? Okay, so... Amen. God's power. Not just, so pray for us. No, it, it, it'll be safe, I'm sure. Um, so chapter 18 now is, I call this the throwdown chapter. Okay, so this is more and more power is being evident to Elijah and his faith and to the people around. But then Ahab's getting more and more irritated. So let's read here. We have a big confrontation between the prophets of it's called, it's spelled B-A-A-L. It sounds like Baal, but it's pronounced more like Baal, Baal. But I don't want to try to say Baal throughout the night, so we're just going to call it Baal, okay? Um, so we have the prophets of Baal, and the Israelites have turned to the world's gods, and, and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, and we have one prophet of God, Elijah, Okay. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asher. So 850 to 1. And Elijah's saying, I'm sorry, that's not God. Yahweh is God, okay? And so, and so we have a big throwdown I want to read, and I want us to listen for the power of God through this. Let's start in verse 17. It says, when Ahab saw Elijah, again, Ahab is the evil king, Ahab said to him, is this you, you troubler of Israel? Listen, if our hearts are set on evil... Someone who comes along and says and calls us to righteousness, we're not going to like them very much. And we start calling them names and accusing them of motives, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But listen, that's not the problem. I, who was the real troubler of Israel? Was it Elijah or was it Ahab? It was Ahab, right? Anyways, just some insight into um, 
trying to take a stand for God, okay? He says, you trouble of Israel, but you and your father's house have, or excuse me, verse 18. He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah's like, you know what? I've had enough of this. We're going to take a stand. Get all your prophets together, and we're going to see who really God is. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Really, this is kind of the... the central verse of the book of 1 Kings. It kind of summarizes the theme. Listen, who's really God? If the Lord, and when you see Lord in the Old Testament, all caps, it means Yahweh, okay? So that's like the proper name. God has introduced himself with his personal name, Yahweh. So if Yahweh is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But this going back, back and forth between two ideas or two uh, allegiances uh, is not acceptable, okay? You just got to go one way or another. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it and I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and I will put a fire, fire under it. Then you call on the name of the Lord of, of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that is a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped, upon, leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon, then Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. Sometimes I use some sarcasm in sermons, right? And sometimes I admit I can get a little too sarcastic. But here Elijah is being sarcastic. So they're calling on Baal, right? They're calling on their God. And they're sincere and they're zealous. They're going for it. They believe in him and no fire. And so Elijah's like, you know what? Why don't you cry a little louder? Because maybe, he's, maybe it's nap time. Maybe it's nap time and the louder you are, the more he'll hear. The more zealous you are, uh, maybe that'll wake him up. Or maybe he's on vacation. So you just got him on a, on a bad week, okay? Um, so he's being sarcastic. Um, verse 28, So they crowd with a loud voice and cut themselves, according to their custom, with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, 
and no one paid attention. See, this is what happens when we worship the gods of the world. When we worship the gods of greed, the gods of lusts, the gods of praise from men, the gods of reputation and status, whatever our idols may be, just a little bit more, right? When we worship and we call out and we sacrifice ourselves and we serve these, maybe it's a pro sports team that we've attached ourselves to, maybe it's entertainment, whatever uh, gods that we emotionally attach ourselves to, to worship, worship just means give ourselves to. And then when it comes to a time of need, where is that God for us? Where is that God to make, to give us what our deep souls need? No one answers. There's no voice. There's no quiet. The pornography doesn't work anymore. The affair that we thought would make us happy didn't. Made us more miserable. The extra, extra money, the, the new clothes, whatever it is. Are you with me there? No voice. No one answered. And no one paid attention. Why? Because it's not a God. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. So he, so he makes the altar, sets the offering up there, digs the trough around. He's like, now, no, we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet. Get four big old pitchers of water. Because we just want to make sure that no one thinks that this by chance could happen because it's really hot out. You know, like someone put a mirror and just, you know, there's the fire. No, I just want to make sure, against all odds, right, that this is not by chance. Actually, I saw uh, a a documentary a a couple months ago, uh, basically trying to explain away how the combination of water and wood and meat in the desert and the sand at this time could just combust into flame, and therefore that's why this happened. I'm like, you're proving the point right now in your, all of your lack of faith. So he said, so fill four pitchers of water, pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Elijah is so confident in Yahweh. At that time, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Elijah wants them to know God. He wants them to know that 
Yahweh is God, and he wants them to know his power with the hopes that their hearts would turn back to him again. Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I think that God came through. Amen? See, when we cry out to God, when we obey God according to His Word, and we petition God with a motive that God would be known, and that people's hearts would be turned back to God, God's like, hey, man, I'm going to answer that prayer. <laughs> would you have loved to have been there? It's like, and, I'm, and you got to know that everyone's thinking like, all that water? No way. This guy's crazy. Elijah, he's a crazy man. Wait a second, you're the ones just cutting yourself, bleeding all over the place, crying out to Baal, and you're thinking he's crazy? <laughs> oh, I love it when God comes through, right? Amen? Um, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink. By the way, everyone fell on their face. Yahweh, Yahweh's God. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen and amen. Many will only do it on judgment day, and it will be too late. But those of us who confess Jesus as Lord and are baptized into Christ will eagerly look for that day coming, and that will be a day of joy and celebration. Verse 41, Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. Again, it hadn't rained in three years, right, guys? So Ahab went up to eat and drink. Ahab's like, Okay, I'm listening to this guy now, right? But Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. He said, Go back seven times. It came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, said Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. God's power provided food in the midst of drought, life in the midst of death, and now truth in the midst of lies. Truth in the midst of lies. The prophets of Baal were sincere, they were zealous, they were committed, and they were sacrificial. Listen, there's all kinds of false false gods in our world, from pagan false gods to religious false gods. And the religious ones especially are deceptive to our naive eyes because we see their sincerity, we see their zeal, and we see their sacrifice, but that doesn't equal truth. What equals truth is the Word of God and the Word of God's teachings. Are you with me there? Okay. These guys were sincere. They were committed. They were sacrificial. They believed in their God. But that belief in their God didn't make God a God. Amen? See, 
strong faith in a weak bridge doesn't get you across the bridge. It's weak faith in the strong bridge. Sometimes my faith is weak, right? But listen, I know that the bridge is strong. The bridge is going to carry me through even when my faith is weak because God is faithful. But we got we to gotta know what we believe and why we believe it. Why do we believe? Is it rooted in the Word of God or traditions of men, sincere and zealous people being committed to their cause may not, does not necessarily equal truth. And by the, and by the way, relative truth, which is, which is uh, popular in our day and age, is not truth. Okay? Well, relative truth means, well, if it's true for you, it's just true. And that doesn't need to be, mean that it's true for me. I'm going to believe my truth, you're going to believe your truth, and we'll all just get along happily. We do need to respect, with, in great respect, that everyone has the freedom to think what they want to think and believe what they want to believe, right? But that doesn't make it true. Are you with me, teens? In the age of well, just what everyone believes, it's okay. Just what I'm sorry, it's not okay just what everyone believes. What's okay is if their beliefs are written in the Word of God. That's the truth, and that's the only truth. So help us, God. Okay, God's power provided truth in the midst of lies. They were sincere, zealous, committed, and sacrificial, but they were absolutely wrong. How long will you hesitate between two opinions? Some of us, we've been hesitating between two opinions. Should I follow the world or should I follow Jesus? I hesitated between two opinions for so long in my life. Little bit of world, little bit of just enough Jesus to make get my eternal fire insurance on and make me not feel bad about myself. But a lot of world, little less Jesus, a lot more world, little less Jesus. Until one day it was like, listen, some prophet called me and said, listen, either Jesus is Lord or he's not Lord. You need to decide who you're going to follow. Because your little half and half stuff isn't fooling anybody and it's killing you. And I remember the moment I was walking home from that Bible study in downtown Minneapolis on 4th Street. I got off the bus and I was walking on home and I said, I don't know. I don't know because I got a lot going on in the world. I mean, I got a good job. I got, there's just a lot going on, right? Anybody with me there? The world's pretty attractive, wouldn't you say? And it's pretty fun for a little bit, right? But it's like, forget it. I don't, I, I'm, I'm done with the world. I'm following Jesus. And the burden, the freedom that came, the, j- the joy, etc. Okay? Um, some of us, we need to decide. We need to decide. If the Lord is God, follow Him. If the Lord is God, then follow Him. If He's not God, don't follow Him. If you don't think He's God, then don't follow Him. Don't fake it to please anyone. But if he is God, then you better follow him. How do we experience this power? Number one, we see two things around all of these situations in Elijah. Number one, we see obeying the word of God and praying to God. So we have the word of God and prayer mixed in all of these things. See, Remember with the, the raven, it was, it was God told him to do this. Elijah said, I don't understand it, but I'll do it. And God, God's power came through. With the widow and the flower and the oil, do this. 
I don't understand it, but I'm going to do it. And God's power came through. With the son that was dead, Elijah prayed. Father, three times he prayed, God, bring this life back to this boy. Okay? And God answered. And then in the big throwdown, right? It was the word of God and prayer to God mixture that power came through in his life. Are you not just listening and hearing the word of God, but are you obeying the word of God? You're going to experience God's power if you obey the word. What am I, what am I talking about? Uh, the Bible says to humble yourself, okay? When you humble yourself and you obey that and you stop talking about how awesome you are, instead share about your struggles and your weaknesses, God's going to lift you up. God's power is going to come through, Okay? When you deny yourself daily, like Luke 9 says, it's a command. He wants the Father must deny himself. When you stop living for yourself and start living to serve God and love and serve others, then an amazing burden is lifted and a great fruit. You'll experience the power of God. Okay? Do you see how that works? Um, John 8, 31 and 32 says, To the Jews who had believed Jesus, Jesus said to them, hold, He who holds to my teaching are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. Then you will know the truth. Some of us as teens, we're coming back from camp, and we're saying, boy, I don't know. Camp was really fun, and I sure felt a lot better when I didn't have my phone, and then I didn't do, wasn't doing drugs, and I wasn't looking at all kinds of stuff I shouldn't look at. And da, da, da. Boy, it sure was going good there. But now I'm back in the world. And now I've, I'm faced with a choice. I'm faced with a choice. And here's your choice. Either obey the word of God and know God's truth and power and be set free or obey the word of the world and know the world's power and be enslaved. It's your choice. You choose and you're not too young to choose and don't think I'll choose tomorrow. Don't think I'll choose tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. That's what the Bible says. Today is the day. Today is the day. Make a choice. What's on your conscience? What's screaming out to you? Here's what I should do. Here's what I know I should do. Hey, if God is God, follow him. If he's not, don't follow him. It's up to you. Petitioning in prayer. James 5, 16 through 18. This is, this, this is where this famous uh, Elijah's legacy, so to speak, in the New Testament, one of them comes says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Elijah was just human. We're going to see so much of his humanity in this next point. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So what we have here, James, is reflecting back on Elijah's walk with God in the power of prayer, the power of prayer. You're not experiencing much power of God lately into your darkness? Just ask yourself, am I obeying the word? Am I petitioning God? Do those things. You will see God's power. Secondly, then, is the gentleness of God overcomes discouragement. You think here, right? Yahweh run this huge throwdown and Elijah kicked tail on 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. So what do you think? Elijah's like, man, God is God and I'm his prophet. And you know, I got even Ahab telling him what to do. And I run fast. <laughs> I'm a stud, right? I'm, a, I'm the boss. 
right? But then old Jezebel comes along. Jezebel, Ahab's wife. And Jezebel, I, I'm going to have to summarize this a little bit. But Jezebel is like, you go tell that Elijah I'm sick and tired of him, and I'm going to kill him. Okay? And so Elijah hears that, and he says, bring it on, Jezebel, because God is God. And your God ain't God, and I'm not afraid of you. That's not what happens. Listen. Uh, let's pick it up in verse, uh, uh, verse 3. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. Guys, he was afraid. He ran. He was deeply discouraged and depressed. He was suicidal. He went from the mountaintop to the valley like that. Man, I love how the Bible is real. With its heroes, Elijah was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. So one of the greatest heroes in the Bible and is dark, has the deep, dark, unspiritual time that he has to walk through. So when you struggle and I struggle with these things, we just fit right in with Elijah and David and Peter and Paul, right? Love it. So he's afraid. He gives into his fear. He runs. He makes himself alone. He's depressed. He's guilty about being depressed, and he runs some more. Okay, so that's the summary of Elijah's emotional state. Let's pick it up in verse... Um, verse 9, then he came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now you think, how would God respond? Elijah, dude, what, what are you thinking? It's, it's so interesting how God responds. What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Translation. Um, I've, done everything I've, I've done everything you asked me to do, and now Jezebel wants to kill me, and I'm about to get killed. I'm the only one left. Everything's going horrible. Israel's going to hell. Judah's going to hell. And I'm about to die, and I'm the only one left, so your cause is... It's, in other words, it's a, it's a spiritual pity party. It's just like, I'm about to die. It's interesting how he said, I've been very zealous. Yes, he had been very zealous for the Lord, but he's not open about how he's feeling now. Right? Actually, I'm afraid. I'm struggling. He's like, no, I've been zealous. And this is what we do when we start going down dark paths. So he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. The great strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. There's an IV translate whisper. But whisper represents the word actually means a soft wind with no vocal cords. 
So point number one is about the power of God. But wait a second. Earthquake, fire, wind, these are all powerful things. God's not there. The gentleness of God. A gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, the sons of Israel, forsaken your covenant, turned down your altars, killed your prophet's sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, God knew exactly what Elijah needed for Elijah to come to him. He needed a whisper. He needed to seize gentleness. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there, and he, and he found Elisha. And him and Elisha have kind of this weird interaction about the cloak, and what have I done to you, and kiss my father. And I, I don't know, maybe there's a hinting that Elijah's a little awkward in relationships. I don't, I don't know exactly what's going on there. Um, but I love this part, how it ends. It says, then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Elisha ministered to Elijah. There's a surprising turn in our story. We see Elijah's humanity. We see his fear. We see his escapism. We see his isolation. We see his depression. We see his guilt in the downward spiral. How does God respond? With a gentle whisper. He, number one, he drew out his heart. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are, what's, what's up, buddy? There's a gentleness to God. Isn't that beautiful? What are you doing here? God doesn't accuse him. God doesn't condemn him. God doesn't point out all the things that you shouldn't be doing here. He says, what's up? Um, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is the exact representation of God. He says, I'm gentle. Gentleness is not a uh, characteristic that is elevated in our society, especially with men. And yet all through the New Testament, we see gentleness be a fruit of the Spirit. And if you're going to be an elder or a deacon or any kind of a spiritual leader, one thing you better be is gentle. And I see it, man, when I get at my kids and I'm like, you know, and one of my kids this past week, like, we got, in a, we, got, we got in a verbal throwdown, right? Like, we didn't get physical or anything, but, you know, it, it was an argument. And we were going wit on wit, you know, and I was kind of, I was starting to break down his arguments, and I was winning the, winning the fight, right? Which is the goal, right? That's right, you know, 47-year-old taking on a teenager. I won. Fathers, do not exasperate. Your children. Do not provoke your children to anger. So I went back and I prayed about it. I went back the next morning like, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And 
boy, things go a lot better. But my spirit turned gentle. Jesus says, I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. Come to me. You'll find rest for your souls. We won't hear God's whisper until we get quiet. Maybe there's maybe we go back to having a quiet time, which means we I was gonna do this if we had time, but we don't have time. If we all set our alarms for like one minute from now. You know, it's just but that's the world. There's so much noise. The noise of our schedule, the noise of the demands on life, the noise of the expectations, the noise of of appointments, the noise of the poor will always be with us, the noise of all the church things we got to do, the noise, just noise, 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 right? Are we able to get ourselves in a spot where we can hear the gentle whisper? So God's gentleness drew out Elijah's heart, drew near to him with a whisper, and drew others close to him. The Bible says that God leads us with cords of human kindness. Elijah was alone. And God said, the journey's too much for you. You can't do this alone. You need partners. So God gave him Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha. And you read the rest of the story about Elijah and Elisha, partners. And then, and by the way, Elijah, you're actually not the only one left. 7,000. I got 7,000 more that you know nothing about. He drew these, Elijah, you're not alone. And see, well, that's what happens when we're open, when we give our hearts and we draw near. So often we try to silo our spiritual life. I'm just going to do this alone. Because in our spiritual lives, we have to deal with our darkness. We have to deal with our sins. We have to deal with God that makes us scared at times, right? And so we tend to silo. It's like, bring down the silos and have, have a... a um, the word for integrity, the Chinese word for integrity is a life without walls. So I don't have a roof. I don't have walls. I'm transparent. And I'm, partners are drawn close. You know, uh, yesterday, Christy and I celebrated 23 years of marriage. And she wrote to me, this is one of my birthday cards, she said, to Joel, my best friend, my lover, and my partner. So I'll leave the lover part out, okay? Uh, but my partner in life. Um, there's such a warmth when it comes to feeling like I'm not alone. I'm not doing this alone. And God has, I, there's been dark times and brought, God has gently drew, drawn others close to me, even when I didn't want, honestly, to be very close to others. I just want to be alone in my, in my junk, right? In my mire that I'm stuck in. Um, Partnerships do a couple things for us. For Elijah, your perspective, Elijah, was not the only one. I've got a perspective, too. It happens to be a little different than yours. Your feelings, Elijah, are not always right. Your burdens are not yours alone. Isn't that encouraging? When we have partners, we're not alone. Our burdens are shared. Our feelings are able to be reflected off and right-sized and our perspective is able to be balanced um, and help us draw closer to God's perspective. Let's, as we remember Jesus, let's go ahead and take communion. Jesus the, is the embodiment of the nature of God. So we see the power of God in Jesus. Through Jesus' word, 
Jesus' prayer, through Jesus performing miracles, we see the gentleness of Jesus with the widows, with the orphans, with the lepers, the gentle touch. Jesus, full of God's power and gentleness, full of God's truth and grace, full of God's judgment and mercy. This is what we celebrate as we take communion. Remember Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you that you are so powerful. Father, we're so human. We're so weak. We're so limited in our strength. And we are in desperate need of your power, your strength to come through. Whatever it is that we're facing today, I I pray, Father, that we can rest in your power, that you are big enough, you are strong enough, you are wise enough, you know what we need and we rely on you to give it. Father, I pray as well that we draw near to you with understanding your gentleness, that you sometimes are the still small voice and we need to quiet down and lean in and hear. Father, thank you for being gentle. When we're hurting, when we're depressed or discouraged, we don't often need a, a loud rebuke or challenge. We need a gentle whisper. Thank you for being that and knowing exactly what we need. Thank you for Elijah being human that we can relate to. And if you can use someone like him, you can use someone like us. Father, I pray during our time of communion that if we've been hesitating between two opinions, that we will look at the cross, we will see the empty tomb, and that we will decide Jesus is Lord and I will follow him. I will no longer hesitate. Father, that we rejoice and celebrate in the forgiveness, but also the truth and the judgment and the mercy that flows mingled down. Father, we love you. Be with us during this time of reflection and remembrance of you, your death, burial, resurrection, and that we proclaim your name until you return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.